Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Don't believe me? All right. Hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you by SCIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, and the Chicago Reader. Vinny J, take it away. Every Friday, Romano Sane, editor and columnist for the Chicago Sun-Times, joins me. Welcome back to the show, Romano. Hi, how are you guys? Doing very well. Have a whole bunch of things to talk to you about. Gave you a homework assignments. Uh, and I know you're ex- right. expecting... Right before you, the show. Yes. <laughs> Actually, it was kind of early. I don't know if you noticed that. Uh, I woke up relatively early today, Romana, about 9.30. And uh, which is early for me. So I usually go to bed around two. Anyway, uh, so I was sitting there reading the newspaper. Actually, I was reading the Tribune on my phone, and I was like, "Oh my god, I got to talk about Ramon." This was Ramon. It was Eric Soren's column about vaccines, and then I read the uh, story about uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene insulting uh, Marie Newman's daughter. I got got to talk to uh, Ramana Hussein about that. Uh, and then I saw I had left over to talk to you about uh, this letter to the editor of the Sun-Times that uh, Hugo, uh, was it Balta, wrote from WTTW, just lost his job as a producer for WTTW. And I thought I would start with that because mm-hmm. uh, after – Everything that follows will be more or less uh, amplification of the issues that Hugo raises because you and I will be sharing our opinions. And uh, the issues that uh, Hugo Balto was raising has to do with whether journalists should be allowed to uh, articulate their their, their opinions. I've had this conversation with you many times. I've had it with... uh, Mick Dumkey, uh, my dear friend, your husband, uh, about this many times. Um, so anyway, why don't you just help people out a little bit? If they haven't followed this one, uh, this story about Hugo Balta, and uh, he used to work for WTTW, and tell the people uh, what went down, and then we'll get into the larger issue. Yeah, so Hugo Balta was um, in an executive position. I'm forgetting exactly what position it was at WTTW. I think he was hired about a year ago. And, um, you know, I think the, I think he was brought in to change the culture of WTTW from what I understand in the letter that he wrote to the um, Chicago Sun-Times. And, you know, he started these new series called In Your Neighborhood series. And, you know, they had Latino voices and black voices. And um, so what this is what we know and what we've heard is that he had tweeted um, a couple of tweets uh, supporting not supporting, but just expressing um, kind of, uh, I, I guess, like, you know, just saying that, you know, pointing out that, you know, Kamala Harris is the first woman of color to be vice president and just kind of having pride in that. And Hugo Balta is part of, uh, I believe he's the president, um, I don't know if of the local chapter or the national chapter of NAHJ, and that's the National, national Association of Hispanic Journalists. 
I have also been on the board of the Asian American Journalists Association. So um, in Chicago, and I've also been president of the organization. So it's like we kind of have similar um, objectives where we're trying to diversify the newsrooms. We were into diversifying newsrooms before it was cool, before George Floyd happened and everybody started talking about it. And it was something that um, I've been pushing ever since I probably became a journalist. Um, so this is something I think that a lot of people of color, you know, seeing someone in that position, I don't, I don't know. We have a policy at the Sun-Times where we're not supposed to write certain things on Twitter, but a lot of that's in the gray area because there's a lot of people, I'm like still afraid about what writing certain opinions of mine but I don't know if I posted something about how I was proud that Kamala Harris was part African American and part South Asian as a South Asian woman. I don't think I'd get in trouble at, from the Sun Times because I have retweeted other people saying certain things like that on my Twitter thread. Um, and then there was also um, so Hugo Balta said that was the kind of tweets that got him in trouble. He said that um, Phil Ponce, who um, hosts one of the shows. Um, does he still host the roundtable discussion? I don't know. I, I'm not like a, I'm not a, I'm not a frequent viewer of the show when Mick's on it. I do watch it or my friends when they're on the roundtable discussion and I've been asked to be on it, but they've always asked me while I was covering a trial in the middle of the day, they're like, can you come at like one o'clock? I'm like, I'm covering something right now. So, but there are a lot of respected journalists are on it and, you know, but anyway, Phil Ponce and two other journalists brought up the tweets, according to Hugo Balta. And um, I think there was some question about his Instagram page where he was reenacting um, Tom Cruise's um, scene in Risky Business with Bob Seger playing in the background. And so people, I, I don't know, I, I, I just find this kind of interesting because I, I wonder if there's something else involved. But Hugo Balta was basically just saying that Really, there is no objectivity. And I know that's something with the younger generation. My generation, we're Gen X. We were kind of trained to think, you know, you're not supposed to put your opinion out there. But it's kind of gotten loosened in the last couple of years. You know, whenever people talk about Donald Trump, I'm not going to pretend that Donald Trump is someone that whose values that I necessarily um, uphold. So, you know, as someone who's like a daughter of immigrants and someone who's Muslim, I, I think I bring that into the newsroom. So a lot of people would argue that, you know, objectivity has always been what one certain group thinks. And, you know, this, you know, the other, you know, the other experiences of other journalists, journalists of color, particularly women of color, never really gotten taken into consideration. And that's what objectivity was. And so, Hugo was arguing that, you know, bringing diversity and bringing experience does change the newsroom. And it doesn't always, basically being objective in that sense isn't always going to work in the newsrooms and why you need those kind of voices. So I don't know. I just think that, I just think, I, I'm just wondering if there's more to the story. I don't know. You know, we've just been hearing about the tweet and the Instagram, but. All right. So let's just. Let's just yeah, act as though this is it. That's in the okay. story, and this is okay because I think th there's plenty to discuss and debate here. I'm with uh, Hugo Balta 100. Just based on what he said, I'll I'll give you why I I think it. First of all, uh, for him to put out a tweet celebrating the uh, election of Kamala Harris as vice president and saying that's a great moment. Let's pause to reflect on what it means for America that uh, a, a woman whose mom is from uh, India and her father was from Jamaica is now our vice president. 
I can't see anything wrong with doing that from any. I, ver- it's like I, I, I'm like flabbergasted that somebody at WTTW, and I must admit, now here I'm a bias. I don't. I'm not a big fan of WTTW. I must say that right now. Okay, but having said that, I can't imagine like what is wrong with celebrating the elevation of Kamala Harris to the second highest office in the land. No, That's number I, one. And number two, yeah, I agree. I'm baffled. Unbelievable. But the notion of objectivity, and I, I'm a, I'm even older than you. I, I've never bought the notion of objectivity. I think, um, I think it's so misleading that journalists, and, uh, and I've never been to journalism school either, so maybe this, I'm fair bias against them, but to, to preach to these young scholars that, Somehow or other, there's this standard of objectivity that exists in the world is so misleading because, Romana, we all bring our biases and prejudices in our world. It, we, it took you and Samina to explain. <laughs> to, if it wasn't for you guys, all these lefties out there would still be bowing down to Tulsi. And you had to explain, no, there's this like centuries old division in India between Muslims and Hindus. And like, she's really obnoxious on this issue. Nope. You you get what I'm saying? It's like most white journalists have no clue. Go ahead. I agree. I mean, even growing up, um, I read the Chicago Tribune and the Sun Times. And at the time, I feel like the editorial boards are mostly all white. Um, And then, you know, maybe they had like one African-American to, you know, add their diversity to the to the editorial board. And they were all around the same age. And their viewpoints, like on foreign policy, were just so cookie cutter. Um, even at the Sun-Times, I remember someone told me that just stay away from the Sun-Times editorial pages because you'll disagree with everything they have to say. And, and it is coming from the perspective of people who are white and, uh, you know, usually male. And, you know, their viewpoints were just so, you know, and, and, and like for someone like me, I'm someone that actually has been, you know, I've been going outside of the country ever since I was three years old. My viewpoint is a lot different than a lot of people who've never left this country or only go to places like Europe when they go on vacation. I've been to other places in the world. And I know that not everything is black and white as we presented, even in our news coverage. So I do I do feel like having, you know, diverse voices, it does change what we think objectivity is. And and maybe it does loosen up the term what objectivity is, because we do bring our biases and our opinions into the stories. Does that mean that when we cover a news story like a criminal court case, I just write about, you know, what the prosecutor said? No, of course not. That's when you have to you have to show both sides and nobody's saying that you throw that out the door, but to show pride. I mean, I think when Barack Obama was nominated president, not necessarily everybody who agreed with those politics, who was African-American or any other person of color, or even if they weren't a person of color to say that this is a historic moment to have our first black president, I don't think is, and, and you know, being happy about it, I don't think is anything wrong. You know, yeah. you know, this I- is like, it's, it's it's history in the making and Kamala Harris was the same thing. I've been trying to, I've been trying to look at more news stories ever since I heard about the Hugo Balta situation at WDTW, just trying to find out more information about what, but, but if this is what happened, I just think it's, it is bizarre. I, I, I mean, because there's, bizarre. there's journalists from all organizations at this point in history 
um, in Chicago media where we've all posted stuff like that. Me, yeah, no, it's yeah. I know. I was gonna say. I, I listen. I got this story that I, I've told. I don't know if I've ever shared it with you, uh, but this goes back to 2012. I want to say, and I didn't. Even, somebody posted a picture of me and Karen Lewis together on my Facebook wall. I didn't post it. I, I don't even think at that time, Ramana, I knew how to post pictures yet. I was still learning the whole Facebook. Anyway, somebody else posted it. It was me and Karen Lewis. We had to be. We had our arms around each other. Yeah. And my editor, the reader at the time, who's long since gone, <laughs> ownership's long since gone. So this is ancient history, said, take it down. Take the picture down. It looks like you're biased toward Karen Lewis. I go, first of all, I'm a calmness. I have my biases are called my opinions, and I'm with Karen Lewis 100 percent That's number one. And number two is I've got I put posted pictures of me with my arm around Mayor Daly. How come you didn't tell me to take those down? You know? It was in the reader. It was it was like a, when Mayor Daly uh, announced he was leaving, um, I was at the South Shore Cultural Center, Ramana, and he was there, and I forget who it was, set up the photo, and we have our arms around each other, even though we were enemies, political enemies, you could, frenemies, isn't that what the word is? The reader put that in the reader. Why is it okay for me to have my arm around Mayor Daly, but not my arm around Karen Lewis? You know, I. What, what I, about Rahm Emanuel? What about that picture of we with you and your arm around Rahm Emanuel? Have, are we going to see that? If Rahm, yeah, sure. If Rahm Emanuel, come on, Rami, come on. Let bygones be got bygones, okay? <laughs> I would put my arm around. I, I shook hands with Richard Mel. I fought Richard Mel more. Then I ever fought Rahm Emanuel. I know that's hard to believe, but good. Mel and I go back to the 80s. And uh, the reader had a photo of us shaking hands, and it was frenemies, and it was a long But the point is, is that I totally disagreed. And Karen Lewis, I called her up. I go, what should I do, Karen? And her advice to me was, then take the picture down. Uh, there are other battles worth, you know, this is not worth dying on the hill or whatever she said. I love her dearly. And I said, Okay, just so you know, I got your permission. So I took it down. And I just thought it was ridiculous. Um, well, I have a ahead. flip of that. What about if you see pictures of a celebrity or someone else hanging out with Donald Trump? Because there have been celebrities who were seen hanging out with Donald Trump. Vince Vaughn is the one that comes to mind. And they were at some hockey game and he was shaking hands with Donald Trump. And everybody got mad. And Vince Vaughn's like, I was told to be nice to um everyone and then you know everybody started you know talking about that but don't you think people form opinions when they see someone with someone like donald trump like hanging out at his parties that does change people's opinions yes. a little that's yes. completely and so yeah so yeah and he's gonna have to pay the consequences for it so people could form opinions about seeing me with my arm around karen lewis they go this guy really likes karen lewis duh read the column <laughs> It's not like I'm hiding it. I was going to say, it's no secret. You like, you loved Karen Lewis. Yes. Dearly. And uh, so I don't know. I just thought it was a weird thing because for a while, Mick and I would like, we would do um, first Tuesdays and we put our, at the, at the end of first Tuesdays, we had this traditional pose. We, we were imitating Bruce. It was our lame imitation of Bruce Springsteen. Mick Dumke and me love Bruce Springsteen a little too much. Uh, and so everybody would have their arms around each other. And uh, you may have taken the photo once or twice. I don't know. We, we would always ask our friends. In one of your photos. I mean. What's that? That's not, that's not weird to have Mick have his arm around me. So it's. 
No, but I mean, you were never in the photo. It would be like, the oh, no, you were our guest once. Yeah. Ramana Hussein was a guest once. So there's a photo of me and Mick with our armor. The reader editor would say, take that down. Then it shows a buy. I don't know. This notion of objectivity, I just think, is strained sometimes. No, I, I agree with you. And, you know, I've actually loosened up through the years. Um, I've, I've, always, I've always had my, I've always had my opinions out there. But I mean, I always, I think journalists are very opinionated. If you sit in a newsroom, everybody's spouting off their opinions all day. So to pretend that you don't have any opinions is a little weird. So um, I, I, but I've always pushed that notion. Like ever since I was a kid, I would read papers and I'd be like, oh my God, this is so like biased. So I would pick up on that as a young person. Like these are all, you know, and at that time I didn't have the language for it because we just thought everybody in journalism was white and that's the way it was. But it was because it was coming from a certain perspective and a certain group of people. And um, I do think it's, I think in the last 15 years we have changed um, on how we see objectivity. All right. Well, that leads, that leads to the next discussion. Uh, I purposely had it this way. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, the congresswoman from Georgia, and uh, her spat with Marie Newman, the congresswoman from the southwest side of Chicago, uh, over the um, the bill that was recently passed, uh, the uh, Equality Bill, the Equality Act for uh, LGBTQ rights. Uh, and Marie Newman uh, was uh, speaking up on behalf of her daughter, Evie Newman, uh, transgender. And in my humble opinion, and this is my opinion, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene went too far uh, and dragged Evie Newman into the debate um, and said, uh, I'll read you the quote. As mothers, we all love and support our children, but your biological son does not belong in my daughter's bathrooms, locker rooms, and sports teams, Taylor Greene tweeted over a video of Newman's floor speech. Uh, and, um, so that's my opinion, uh, about this. I thought we would, uh, start with that. I feel, uh, that as a journalist, I am entitled, even as a non-commerce, get your thoughts on this, uh, to have, there's like some matters that just by quote unquote, an objective measure are, should be accepted pretty much across the board. And one is that we have a tolerance uh, for uh, transgender, okay? Or people who are gay. That would, I would just assume that would be just like an acceptable norm in 21st century America. Do you think I'm showing a bias, an unfair bias when I articulate that uh, point of view, Romana? No, I don't think you are. I mean, it's just kind of like saying, is it okay to be racist also, right? But I I, I, I I, think the problem is that everybody kind of waters down the language and like, you know, people remember when they, like even a year ago, there'd be stories that would say racist tinge or racially tinged. Like, you know, whenever they talked about Trump's policies on certain people, you know, in the certain communities. And then I think at some, some point people are like, just say it's racist. Why do you have to like use this language that waters it down? So I think that's what causes the confusion um, when people are like, well, it's like, you know, a debatable issue. And um, Marjorie Taylor Greene, she also had something that said there, you know, she tweeted or wrote something um, that said there are two genders, male and female, trust the science, which is ironic because she 
you know, she's written stuff about the coronavirus that doesn't really follow or trust the science. So it's, it's, it's just, um, it's, 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 it's been kind of crazy. And the, and the crazy, also crazy thing is Marjorie Taylor Greene, I mean, Marie Newman put up, um, I guess her office is right next to Marjorie Taylor Greene's or across the hall in DC. And she put up a transgender um, poster up or some sort of flyer up. A flag. The flag. Yeah. Sorry. And she said, that, you know, I hope Marjorie Taylor Greene can see this every time she opens her door. And she, and you know, she posted it on uh, Facebook, I believe. And then Facebook ended up flagging it, hate speech, and took it down. And meanwhile, Marjorie Taylor Greene's rants are like, you know, stay up. And so then Facebook, I think, if, I think after Marie Newman mentioned something about how Facebook took it down, uh, Facebook came back and apologized and said it shouldn't have been taken down. And then, you know, they restored it. But the interesting thing is, like, why isn't somebody like Marjorie Taylor Greene's content taken down as hate speech? I am with you 100 percent on this. And by the way, we're going to have a conversation next week. A guy I've known for years and years. This is a tangent, uh, Romana. Uh, David Weiss is his name. Has been kicked off Facebook five times for <laughs> uh, his postings, which Facebook has deemed to have violated the rules. So we're going to take a deep dive on this very subject, like getting kicked off of social media, what should be acceptable, what isn't acceptable, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, but yes, I, uh, I'm with you. Uh, the way it works is that in this particular case is that uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene was giving uh, greater access to Facebook than Marie Newman, even though I would think, and this is me, maybe this reflects my bias, that uh, Marie Newman's worldview is more in line with where we are as a culture in the United States than Marjorie Taylor Greene's uh, worldview, where she's still trying to cling to these notions of what gender is and you're either a male or you're female. And if you're not, if you're claiming something other than that, you're really weird. And I will love you because God tells me to love all people, even sinners. This which is really, con- in my opinion, is a very condescending attitude to have. Uh, but I will love you even though I think you're a deviant, but um, I will love you nonetheless, but you are a deviant and uh, you, what about this, Romana? What about the notion that um, we should respect Marjorie Taylor Greene's attitudes toward transgender because otherwise it would be offend uh, her religious beliefs? What's your thoughts about that? I don't know. Does she bring up her religious beliefs when she talks about transgenders? Trans- yes, that's kind of that's the argument that uh, the. Uh, and to, uh, the radical right, I don't know what to call them. The Republican Party makes. Yeah, There's well, a First Amendment yeah, liberty. Yeah. Go ahead. So if, if there was a Muslim person that was against transgender rights, the attitude would have been totally different. So it's only when it's a Christian person that everybody says that don't offend, don't offend, uh, you know, her religious <laughs> rights. Because if it, if I said that something like that, they'd be like, oh, look at the intolerant Muslim out there. Well, they call me Muslim, but, you know, whatever, you know, they, they would say, Oh, look at these people. These are intolerant people. And then, you know, there'd be campaigns against me. But anybody who's Christian and their rights are violated or people feel like they're violated, the right's always like, oh, don't don't say anything about the religion. But everybody else is mostly, you know, other religions that they don't really think our religions are always deemed. Well, we're being intolerant. It, 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 it is effective, I think, rhetorically, because a lot of liberals back off immediately. 
you know, they won't. It's their, it's their religious belief. Uh, and that's that's the position that's being advanced is that they have a First Amendment protected they, right to they believe do. in one. People do have a First Amendment right to have their religious beliefs. Nobody's saying that. But at the same time, there's uh, consequences to your actions and your beliefs. Yeah. And also, you don't have a First Amendment protected right to deny somebody else exactly. like, the right to have a birthday cake or a wedding cake or uh, what have you. Uh, no, I'm with uh, Marie Newman 100% on this one. And that is my opinion, my objective opinion. Okay, yeah. All right, uh, it's time for us to uh, take the deep dive on an Eric Zorn column. We've done this from mm-hmm. time to time. Uh, he, he writes provocative columns. I enjoy taking the deep dive. And it seems like every Friday we're doing this. Uh, so your homework assignment was to read Eric Zorn's uh, Chicago Tribune columnist, Eric Zorn's column in today's Tribune, in which he took a position, a hard position. Eric Zorn's not messing around. Yeah. If you don't get the vaccine, you should not be allowed to return to your job. Don't tell me about your religious beliefs. Don't tell me this, that, the other. No, no. You don't get that vaccine. You don't get to go to work because you're endangering everybody else's health and safety. Your thoughts about this, Romana? You know, on the surface level, I totally agree with Eric Zorn. Um, but, but the thing is, what complicates this situation is that there are people in certain communities, particularly, um, you know, African-American communities and other communities of color. I, I don't know if there's anyone specific, but with the African-American community, because of our history in the past and the way African-Americans are treated today, at, you know, when they go to the hospital, when they go to the doctors, they're completely ignored. They don't they don't trust the healthcare system. And, you know, we he- hear about the Tuskegee um experiments and like black people have been experimented on um, for years in, in the medical community. So I understand the distrust. So that's one of the things that we're working with um, where a lot of people in the African community, I don't know, I don't know what the percentage is, but you know, there's been campaigns out there to educate people. So I think there will be people who won't be taking it for, you know, whatever reason. So that makes it a little tricky. And, you know, we have this huge city and a huge uh, population, people of color. And so I think we have to keep pushing that the, vaccination is really important. I know in the beginning, a lot of people were a little scared about, you know, they're like, well, what if the vaccine, you know, it's just, it's so quick. We, they, they came out with the vaccine. So, you know, quick, my brother-in-law and um, he's a, he's a physician and other physicians that I know, they said, listen, the benefits outweigh any negatives that are out there. So everybody should get vaccinated. And, And I personally don't know anybody who wouldn't get vaccinated. But that's just me. Like everybody that I know, almost half of them, almost all the adults in my family at this point are vaccinated. There are people in the medical field in my family. My mom just got her second vaccine. Um, my younger somebody, So like people are slowly getting it. So yeah, everybody, almost everybody in my family, I think within two weeks, it will only be me and Mick and my nephew who goes to Champagne. And I think Champagne's going to probably start vaccinating students because, you know, it's a state school. And, and they've been excellent on, you know, testing students and having all these different tents where they get tested and they have to get tested every two days. So, yeah, I mean, I, I even told, uh, you know, I know some people are worried about the equity. They don't want to, like, jump in line and get the vaccine. But, you know, there are some days where, you know, I have friends who are in the medical field and they'll say, like, there's all these vaccines left over at the end of the day. And if you don't use the vaccine with a certain, within a certain time pe- period, it gets wasted. So um, I think Tuesday last week when they had the big snowstorm, I knew someone who said, hey, Rush Hospital has 100 vaccines that are just like laying around. 
if you want to go and get it. And I kept calling, trying, because I'm like, I told um, Mick, my husband, I'm like, you know, as soon as I can get it, I'm going to get it. You know, and he's like, well, we got to make sure we qualify. And I'm like, yeah, but if it's available, I think I will take it. I mean, I'm going to wait a few weeks, but, you know, if I if I can get it somewhere, I'm going to get it. So Yeah, I, I have a friend, a dear friend who I will not name, um, a very good friend of mine who is eligible and has been offered to get the vaccine and he won't take it. And I'm like, what? 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 No, no, I don't want to put that in my arm. No. And it, you know, it's like an impulse. It's like, this is a guy who won't wear a seatbelt. Yeah. <laughs> no. He's like, yeah. You know, my brother-in-law, he works at a, um, a veteran hospital and he goes to LaSalle, Illinois, like every week. And he tells us all these, you know, he said he was talking to a guy, very intelligent. And then as soon as he started, you know, he, he has a lot, it's a really, he has like funny stories because a lot of Trump supporters there and it's, uh, you know, he'll tell me story. He'll tell us stories about the conversations he has. Um, but he was saying that um, one guy who's talking to was just like, um, you know, I don't want to get this done. You know, then they're gonna, he, he thinks they're going to put, it's like some sort of chip. Like once you get vaccinated, there's going to be some sort of microchip in your, in your arm that the government's going to be following around. And then my younger sister also knows someone at work who's very like left wing and she, she, you know, she's just suspicious of it. And she also said that there's going to be some sort of microchip in it. And she's like, and my sister's like, this is someone who's very intelligent, but she just is so skeptical of the vaccine. So there, that is a problem that's happening. So I don't know. I was reading, you know, Israel has been criticized. You know, they, they've been pretty good with their vaccination program in terms of vaccinating Israelis, but they've been criticized because the Palestinians only up until recently started getting vaccinated. But I was just reading an article about how right now they have something called a green passport. And so they had a concert a couple of days ago and, you know, everybody just showed their green passport saying that they're vaccinated and they're fine. So I think something like that. I mean, I think once we have concerts and major venue events, we're probably going to all have to show proof that we got vaccinated on our phones. Um, yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm going to have to disagree with your the the lefty friend and the and the chip. They already got the chip in you. I know. You think they need the vaccine to put the chip in you? I know. I was going to say, uh, I uh, Homeland Security <laughs> monitoring my community for a long time. I mean, in, in fact, when me and my friends make certain jokes, we're like, we're just joking, Homeland Security. Like, well, yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, they're following you anyway. I mean, on Facebook, my my younger sister was showing me a pair of earrings the other day. We were just talking about it, and all of a sudden, Facebook like shows the you know I get this like ad on Facebook of the company with the earrings that my younger sister had. So we're already being watched. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, and the lefty, you're giving Facebook all this information. I mean, you're like yeah. voluntarily putting it on Facebook. Now you're worried about yeah. the. But you oh, know, my beloved lefties. Anti-vaxxers have been a problem even before the coronavirus. Um, my cousin lives in California, and she said that a lot of these people who are very lefty are very anti-vaccine, so they don't want to get their kids vaccines, and then you know, they're in the, then these kids start getting sick. So I don't know. I, I'm someone who grew up in a family with, um, you know, my father was a doctor. He would, I know, he would be like, get the vaccine. But there are people who are just skeptical. I'm just, you know, and I understand people being afraid. And like I said, there's this added element of our history in this country, particularly, you know, the treatment of African-Americans in medical field. But I think eventually to stop this pandemic or to stop the infections and the deaths, 
it's like we're going to have to get everybody vaccinated that we can. And I don't know if you heard the latest, but on March 10th, the United Center will be used as a mass vaccination site. And so um, I think they're going to try to target a lot of, you know, people of color. And I think initially they're going to open to just to people to 65 and under. But soon, I think we're they're going to things are going to open up and everybody's going to get a chance to get vaccinated. And I think that I mean, this is my opinion, but I don't really think it's an opinion. <laughs> it's it's an opinion that should be everybody's opinion. I think everybody should get vaccinated when they can. I'm with you 100 percent there. Uh uh, and uh, I think that's objective for us to say it. Uh, that's our objective view. Uh, and I, having listened to you and read Eric, yeah, I, I feel it's, I, I have, ultimately, I believe this will be challenged. Someone will take it to court. Yeah. Uh, and, but like, for instance, when the Sun-Times brings people back uh, to that newsroom, that's, that's a closed space, uh, well, you know. If, We're practically on top of each other by our desk. Yeah. We're like, Somebody's eating lunch. You can hear them crunch. We're like sitting so close to each other. Yeah, I, I would hope the bright one, not that I'm in a, in a position to tell them how to do their business, but I would really hope they'd say, all right, you want to come back to the newsroom? You have to have the vaccine because it is tight confines and you do want to protect people. And All right, let's uh, move on. We'll close with uh, Romana's recommendations. You have a ton of great recommendations uh, that I want to get through. So um, the one that I'll be watching tonight is this Korean vampire movie that you told me about. I'm so excited. Tell folks about it. Yeah, so it's really funny because this this week, or maybe a few days ago, maybe it was last week, um, there was Twitter chatter about how this Korean movie called Train to Busan, I hope I'm pronouncing it right, U-S-A-N, is um, going to be remade by Hollywood. And so there was a lot of people on Twitter just saying, like, why don't you just watch the original? Why does Hollywood have to ruin everything? And people are like, learn how to read subtitles. And it's really funny because the reason I found out about this movie is because Lee Bay, one of my colleagues, tweeted, he said, oh, I'm seeing all this chatter about Train to Busan, so I decided to watch it myself. And let me tell you, yes, just stick with the original. I, and so I ended up watching it. And, and and if you like zombies, and I'm not even someone who's like a huge zombie fan, but I do watch The Walking Dead. I watched it this week. It's really good. It's it's really good. I know you said, Pam, your wife is a huge fan of zombies. Train to Busan, it's on Amazon right now. They made a second one, and it actually came out during the pandemic, and it do, didn't do that well. But Rotten Tomatoes didn't give it back rate reviews. But the first one, is just excellent. I just think, I think you'd really enjoy it. I think Pam would like it as well. And I have a bunch of other recommendations. I'll go through them really quick. Go ahead. Okay. And then the second one, I saw Minari, my younger sister paid for it to get it streamed. And she's like, hurry up, hurry up. You can try. <laughs> she's like, two more hours. Oh my God. The Hussein family is great. <laughs> Passing around those. <laughs> he had a four hour window and she saw it with my mom. And then it was like two, it was like less than two hours later. And then Mick was walking the cats outside and then he was coming in and I'm like, we have like less than two hours. Let's watch it. And then he's like, let's talk about this first. I'm like, no, there's nothing to talk about. Let's just start it. And, and he's just like, well, what if we miss the last five minutes? I'm like, let's just start, we'll start watching it. It's a really good movie. I'm a really big fan of Stephen Wen. I think I'm pronouncing his right name right. He's actually from The Walking Dead and became famous because of The Walking Dead. He's just a really great actor, Korean-American actor. He plays a Korean immigrant who moves, takes his family to live in a trailer on a farm. And he's growing, like, vegetables for the Korean community because he's like, you know, there's all these Koreans coming into the country and they're going to want to look for these vegetables. But it's really good. There's, you know, my, my family's... Um, 
story is a little different. We um, we were grew, grew up in Chicago and the suburbs, so it's a lot different. But um, there were some similarities because the grandma comes and lives with them. My grandma came and lived with us for a couple of years, and there were some definitely some similarities I saw with the grandma they showed in in Minari and my grandma. So um, this is like a really quick recommendation for anybody who's South Asian out there. If you want something quick, um, Mick, my husband, was telling me um, is a show called The Big Day. And it's basically this over top. It's a reality show, three episodes, reality show on um, over the top Indian weddings. And Mick's like, what are you watching? And I was telling him and he's like, don't we already know about this stuff? I'm like, yeah, but we still like watching it and like, you know, all it. Being all like, oh, how could you afford something like that? And just kind of, you know, and maybe I miss India a little. So I told him, oh, I'm going to watch it. So that's like a quick kind of like a light, um, light read, like light watch. And then I also started listening to um, Bruce Springsteen and Barack Obama's uh, podcast. It's called Renegades Born in the USA. And the first two episodes have already landed on Spotify. And I listened to it while I ran yesterday. Um and they discuss race in the first two episodes. And it, they're, it, it's, it's really good when they start talking about their personal experiences. And, you know, Obama at one point talks about reparations. I thought he kind of started talking like a politician at that point. My brother's like, well, he is a politician. You want him to be like, you want him to be like Malcolm X. But he's not going to be like Malcolm X. My brother's lecturing us because he, he liked it. And he was just, I was like, well, I kind of thought like Obama started talking like a politician when talking about reparations. And my brother's like, well, you know, everybody wants Obama to be a certain way. But he was really good. And, you know, at one point I was telling Mick he'd enjoy one part where they talk about good protest songs and Obama sings Maggie's Farm like Bob Dylan for a few seconds. So I told Mick about that because Mick's going to listen to it. So I said, I think you'll like that part. So it's, it's, a, it's a good yeah. podcast if you want to listen to something. I thought it was going to be like the Jeep commercial. Like, I don't know if I want to listen to this. But then I was like, I'll give it a chance. And it's pretty good. I'm with you. I, I want to give it a chance. And uh, I've said this on this podcast. I try to listen to every podcast that people recommend to me, recommend to me at least once because I pick up tips uh, from and uh uh, so when I saw, I read the article about it. I said, oh, I have to listen to it at least once. I was very dubious, very dubious about these two guys coming together. But <laughs> I thought it was going to be like the Jeep commercial. I'm like, oh, but it, it's, yeah. it's not like the Jeep commercial, you know, and it, it's good. I mean, there are some stories that I definitely knew about because I, I've, I'm a Bruce Springsteen fan myself. I've read his um, book, Autobiography, and um, Obama, I definitely, you know, I know about his background and just being from Chicago and reading his first two books. I have his third book and I told Mick, I don't have any interest in that book. <laughs> Mick, <laughs> oh, God. I, but I, I, I do like Obama, uh, but I think he's very bad how he speaks, but he's definitely in the driver's seat in the podcast. It, it's kind of cool. Like you, you, you do realize what a great speaker and, you know, and he's always been a great speaker and, and you're just reminded of that. Listen to the podcast. And so I have two more recommendations. Sorry, I'm going to go really quick. So I'm watching Alan versus Pharaoh on HBO Max. Um, this is the uh, Wood, uh, basically a four part series on Woody, the allegations against Woody Allen and his daughter, Satchel Pharaoh. Or not his daughter, um, I guess. Well, it is a daughter that he adopted with Mia Farrow. And it's, it's, it's actually, so far, it's very disturbing. And Mick, again, Mick was like, what are you watching? And I was like, oh, I'm going to watch this. I know he wouldn't be interested in this. And he's like, he's like, why do you watch this? This is like the Epstein documentary. So I go, oh, I'm just watching it just so I can hate Woody Allen more. It's kind of like it makes you, it, it, it makes you more angry how people accepted a lot of stuff that happened. So I, I think you, I think because you're from that generation, 
and you're someone who really liked Woody Allen, I think it's, it's interesting to watch. He's just a, I mean, even like, you know, I know some people are like, Oh, it's unfair, but there's video of him like in interviews and he just sounds like a weird guy. He was just saying how, you know, cause when he, when he met Mia Farrow, she had like five kids, I mm. think. Um, and he told her, he's like, they never, they never lived together. They never got married, but he was like, I have no interest in kids. Um, if you want to have any, if you have them, I'm not going to like, you know, he was basically, and I mean, that was the interview with him saying how he didn't care about kids, which is, I guess some people don't care about kids, but he just sounded like such a cold, I don't know. He just sounded like a really weird, cold kind of guy. And I'm not saying, you know, I, I it just sounded like a very dysfunctional relationship, but it's an interesting show. Um, they, they kind of like, they're, they're staggering this, this episodes and they had one already. And this other, so I'm starting this new show called Wayne on Amazon. Wayne, W A Y N E. One of my um, friends recommended it. It's kind of like a coming of age show about this kid whose dad dies and he had a like this prized possession Trans Am that someone had taken. And so it's him trying to get back the the Trans Am. It sounds really weird, but it's a pretty good. (laughs) Well, it's you're, you're really covering the waterfront. These are uh, a wide array of different types of movie. Yeah. Uh, And, uh, I, I, I probably will not watch the Woody Allen documentary. I've gone through so much with Woody Allen. Uh, although, you know, maybe we'll do a whole show on it. I don't know. Maybe I will watch it. We could do a show on it. But um, I was a huge Woody Allen fan. I'm not going to rewrite history. Uh, and I've just, as time's gone on, I've turned against him. And it's kind of like my attitude about Michael Jackson. I was a huge Michael Jackson fan. And it's really difficult for me to even listen to Michael Jackson music. That's weird. This is weird. I will still listen to the Jackson five. Yeah. Okay. Which is, I know that's weird. I was yeah. well, sort of like, well, he's just one of five, you know, yeah. and uh, I don't know, a weird guy, but uh, I, I can't, uh, off the wall comes on. I like that. So I live in off the, it's whether, but that mostly I just turn Michael Jackson off. For, and it's the same thing with Woody Allen. All right. I'm going to, um, do uh, two quick recommendations for get out the, out the door. One is my big recommendation. We we kind of make fun of him in this show all the time. Uh, Mick Dunkey, uh, he's got really weird taste or non-taste in uh, movies. I don't quite understand it. Uh, but he's a very uh, hugely talented journalist, as uh, we all know. And he wrote this epic for ProPublica. Uh, I call it his masterpiece about the uh, murder there's still unsolved murder of an alderman, Ben Lewis, on the west side of Chicago. And uh, Mick has dedicated so many hours of his life, as you know, Ramana, to this story. And he's been through so many ups and downs on the story. I'm just so happy for him as his friend that the story's out and that he's getting accolades for it. It's brilliant work. And you and I both know that what he has is so much greater the than what was put like ProPublica really made him whittle it down to fit that format they gave to him. And I'm like, Mick, you got to write a book. This has got to be a Netflix series. This is unbelievable. This is the Queens. It's a hell of a story about the intersection between the mob and politics and rising black political aspirations in the sixties Uh, and the old white machine trying to repress black political empowerment. It's all there. Uh, And uh, with the the murder of Ben Lewis, Mick is going to come on the show uh, to talk about it. We'll do our our typical geeky Ben and Mick deep dive. Um, So major, yeah, uh, 
congratulations to the great Mick Dumpke for a job really well done. He may have lousy tastes when it comes to, uh, to movies, <laughs> Romana, but the guy's a great journalist. So Yeah, he is. And I, I'm his wife, but I'm a little biased. But yeah, he's been working on it for a long time. And, you know, and he was telling me, he's like, thanks for listening to me. You know, you've been listening to me for months. And I'm like, actually, ever since we were married, I've been listening to about that movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, and he's been talking about Ben Lewis, and you know what? I I told him I never had heard about Ben Lewis, and I told him it, I think it is something that people would be interested in. And yeah, I you know we work like a couple feet apart. Um, he works in the next room, I work in the kitchen. But you know, I've heard some of the editing process and some of his you know discussions with his bosses, and it was a story that you know he was just he was worried that, you know, some things were going to get cut out and didn't make sense. But I actually, I cut a little of my viewing time yesterday. I do, I watch something every day, like after work for like an hour or two. Um, and I read, I read the piece uh, and I thought it was really good. I told him the only objections I had is that he didn't mention that Alan Dorfman died, was killed in Lincolnwood. And, yes. and then, and he goes, well, no, he goes, nobody around the country's going to know what Lincolnwood is. I'm like, well, you wrote that Lenny Patrick, died in Morton Grove. So if you yeah. mention Grove, you should have mentioned Lincoln. <laughs> so no, I mean, he's wrong. Mick's, once again, Mick showing his ignorance of movies does not realize in the Irishman, they, the, the great Martin Scorsese gangster flick, they show Dorfman getting gunned down in front of the purple Hyatt on Tui in Lincolnwood, just down the road from uh, New York bagels and Bialy's one of the great bagels and Bialy's stores. A <laughs> uh, little it's Lincolnwood a, riff there. Uh, one of the best that and Kaufman's and Skokie. Yeah. But anyway, great piece by uh, Mick Dumkey. all kidding aside. He'll be on the show next week probably to talk about it. And finally, uh, Promising Young Woman, one of the stupidest movies I've ever seen. I can't believe I saw it. And I, what's even more embarrassing, Ramana, how much I liked it. I'm really I, just... I, I it was great. I heard it was great. I want to watch it too, but, you know, maybe I'll wait for my younger sister to, you know, pay for it and then I'll stream it. <laughs> Uh, those are saints. By the way, I, if there's anyone in your family who has access to the vaccine, <laughs> give me the call. Okay, oh. I'm waiting. Uh, I, I, I will. I will let you know. I do. I do have some of the hookups. So if I find out, I will let you know. But I am going to try to watch Nomadland or I Care a Lot this week. I don't know. Yes. I, I think Mick will be more into Nomadland, so I'm going to try to watch that this week. Well, we're going to watch Train to Busan and probably uh, I Care a Lot. <laughs> All right. Very good. Uh, Romana, stay safe and sound. Uh, get me the vaccine if you can, and we'll talk to you next week. All right. Okay, take care. All right. That's a great Roman Hussein every Friday in the Ben Jarowski show. What you got for me, D? Romana, wait. Oh, damn it. I miss Romana every week. <laughs> I love that. I was going to see if she wanted to go see Bob Seeger once this damn pandemic's over. You know what I mean? Oh, because by the way, she, 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 I'm not making this up. Uh, Romana is a Bob Seeger fan. Really? So, oh, wow. Yeah, she, she may. Yeah. Okay, cool. Cool. She may like it then. All right. That's awesome. Uh, dude, that's news to me, by the way. Uh, Obama and Bruce Springsteen have a podcast. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, uh, you listened to I it. I thought I mentioned you. Maybe I did. No, I haven't listened to oh. it yet. I read the article about it in the New York Times and they had a full page ad. And, and like I tell you, I always try to listen to podcasts at least once just to see what's out there, you know, see if I can learn from the others. So I will uh, listen to it. Right. I'll get back to you on it. Well, what but, sound uh, effects yeah. do you think those fellers do? Um, with my good friend, uh, Bruce Springsteen. Uh, Bruce, welcome to the show. Thank you, Bob. Uh, you know, Bruce Springsteen here. 
oh, you're a great guy. Uh, you know, uh, Born and Run is one of my favorite songs. Oh, and I wrote it for you, Barack. No, I, I, heard, I, I wonder if Obama has a nice uh, cat out of the bag. You know what I mean? <laughs> hey, yeah, no. By the way, Barack Obama, Bruce Springsteen, it works the other way. You can learn from this show. <laughs> can you? Barack, uh, <laughs> I just want to do my cat out of Hold on, Barack. Here's my cat out of the bag. Uh, Bruce, uh, that's uh, not as good as uh, Benny J does it. I tell you what, Bruce, uh, we need to get okay. in an, in an attic next to a uh, porta potty, get a bald guy, produce it, tell jokes that aren't that funny, and then we'd have a good show. <laughs> and sing songs. We Turn need a song, song of the day. Barack Obama was singing a song. I sing as well as Barack Obama, just saying. I mean, I had no clue, but hey, bring it, Obama. <laughs> You're in our lane now, pal. All right. You won't see us running for office, but oh, you can do a podcast, huh? Very interesting. <laughs> His days of running for office are long gone, D. But I have a confession to make. All my complaining about Barack Obama every time I saw that name in a ballot. <laughs> Vote for him. <laughs> Vote for him. So, whatever. Hey, we got breaking news. <laughs> By the way, this is the back half. How's it going? Okay. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times. Fran, the woe man Spielman. In a picture, well, maybe the worst possible picture you can pick of the mayor. Why are you doing that, Fran? Come on. Uh, The headline reads, City Council poised to authorize $377 million in federal stimulus spending. The city council is poised Friday to authorize another round of federal stimulus spending despite the political furor triggered by Mayor Lori Lightfoot's decision to spend $281.5 million on police payroll costs. Lightfoot said she's confident she'll get her way 48 hours after two of her most dedicated city council critics deposed Finance Committee Chairman Ed Burke, Burger King Burke, (laughs) and Raylo. Alderman Ray Lopez, yes, star of the hit Ben Jarofsky show, Audio Drop, I Want an Answer. (laughs) Ed Burke and Raylo used a parliamentary maneuver to delay the stimulus vote. I'll play I Want an Answer later. Uh, Let's see here. Lightfoot went on saying, quote, our residents are literally still fighting for their lives every single day. What they want all of us to do is focus on the things that are important to them, to deliver for them. That's what we ought to be focused on and not a lot of political theater and drama. Nobody has any patience or time for that. Uh, Yeah. All right. Uh, The mayor (laughs) says, you got to be fucking kidding me, lady. All right. Uh, The mayor advised those who want to protest the police spending to simply, quote, vote no, instead of attempting to use a series of procedural and, in my view, not mine, Lori Lightfoot's, uh, anti-democratic processes to delay the vote. Ben, go ahead and take it from here. (sighs) Well, before I do that, Lowy, I'm now going to do something you never heard. Barack Obama imitation of Raylo on the Raylo tape. Whoa. Uh, <laughs> That's deep. That's deep. Uh, 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 no offense, but uh, uh, fuck you. Uh, <laughs> how about that, huh, D? I want an answer. It's not something you ignore. Well, no offense, well, fuck you then. 
No offense, my favorite part. Uh, now, listen, it's not anti-democratic to take advantage of a parliamentary rule that's part of our democracy. It's not anti-democratic uh, for two aldermen to try to delay passage of a bill uh, or a measure for one meeting. That's not, that's, that is democracy. So it's not anti-democratic when aldermen do something that annoy a mayor. It may be annoying, but it's not anti-democratic. And by the way, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, it only took two days. They did what they did to draw attention to the issue. I don't see anything wrong with that. Uh, I think it's an important issue to be discussing and analyzing. Mayor Lori Lightfoot took $281 million and a half dollars that was sent to Chicago by the federal government for COVID relief, and she spent it on police. That's, you have to ask yourself, is that what was the money intended for? Do you think that, well, ultimately it's a good idea to do it? I would think, I will bet you that most people in Chicago would probably side with Lori Lightfoot on this. But it's not anti-democratic to ask a mayor to defend her position. So saying it's anti-democratic is anti-democratic. Wow, how about that, D? It's like a jujitsu move. It's like you're taking a very democratic maneuver and turning it into somehow an undemocratic maneuver. And I don't buy it. I think our mayors should, as a routine, be expected to explain the decisions that they're making. And they should not just like pass it along in the middle of the night when no one's paying attention or even in the broad daylight when no one's paying attention. I thought that part of the new era of politics with Lori Lightfoot meant a diminishment of the mayor as the all-powerful emperor who just orders and commands the city council to do what they ever want. Look, look, you were given a gift, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, with Ed Burke. This guy is Central Casting's version of the worst, most egregious and foul politician you could come up with from the city of Chicago. And yet, until he was indicted, everybody was lining up I'll bet you some of the same people, D, who signed that letter, sucking up to Mayor Lori Lightfoot that ran in the bright one the other day, yesterday, supported Ed Burke. So you got to think about some of the, about the Chicago mentality. No matter who's in charge, they support him. No matter who's the all-powerful what, finance chair or mayor, they support him. And now we all see what Ed Burke really was. And it's a gift to Lori Lightfoot because she could say, Ed Burke supports this. It must be horrific. And we talked about this already. She played that card. And I would advise her, not that she would ever take advice from me, to keep playing that card because it's an effective card to play. But it is not an anti-democratic move that Raylo and Ed Burke performed. It may be disingenuous. In the case of Ed Burke, it's absolutely disingenuous. Because that kind of Rob from Peter to pay Paul budget maneuver 
that Mayor Lori Lightfoot used to take stimulus, to take federal COVID relief and spend it on the cops is something that Mayor Rahm did, Mayor Daley did, and Ed Burke had no problem with it. So yes, it's inconsistent, disingenuous, and hypocritical for Ed Burke to suddenly discover his inner reformer and complain about it. But it's his democratic right, small d, democratic, to team up with Raylo to postpone the vote for two days. You got what you wanted. You should be celebrating. What what does the mayor do when she celebrates, D? She lights up a cigar. She drinks. What was it she drinks? She brings out the scotch. 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 My bad. Sorry, uh, Mayor Lightfoot. The scotch. And she has a steak dinner. I think that's what she said when the budget passed. She did. So you won. You got your measure passed. Bring out the scotch. Light up the cigar, have a steak, and celebrate. Or, you know, a luncheon. I don't want an answer. It's not something you ignore. I think you're 100% full of shit, is what I think. If you think oh, we no offense, well, fuck you then. <laughs> Who are you telling me I'm full of shit? Wow. It's like the first time every time. Every time. But no offense. All right, here's Bruce Springsteen. Uh, no, no expense, no, no, no offense, but, but fuck you. Oh <laughs> That's Bruce Springsteen imitating Raylo. I know. Okay. I know. You hear that, Springsteen? We're talking trash. All right, talk we, some back, here, huh? Here Come go. on. Here, here's here's Bill Clinton doing it. Oh God. That's uh, <laughs> uh, kind of going into Bruce Springsteen country. <laughs> I don't know what country uh, we're in right now. <laughs> no offense, but but fuck you. <laughs> That's Bill Clinton imitating Raylo. Alright, gotta make a note here. Mark today's show explicit. Okay. Oh, that'll all be edited out for the podcast. Don't worry about it, everybody. Ladies and gentlemen. We'll take care of that in the podcast. And finally, let's talk about every well-off white person's favorite thing to complain about. And most of the time it's the only thing. Red light cameras. <laughs> oh, these things, they drive me crazy. <laughs> the following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times. And who wrote this? Fran, you are hustling today. Check out the Fran Spielman podcast, everybody. Every week she has someone on. Uh, yeah, it's a great show. Go check it out. Chicago Sun-Times. All right, Fran Spielman. Uh, the headline writes, uh, reads here, Speed cameras to start churning out $35 tickets Monday under lower threshold starting monday motorists nailed by speed cameras driving six miles per hour and 10 miles per hour over the posted speed limit will receive 35 tick 35 tickets in the mail under a crackdown triggered by a 45 percent surge in traffic deaths mayor Lori lightfoot chose to lower the boom slowly with a 44-day warning period after her decision to start to lower the threshold for speed camera tickets became a focal point for aldermanic critics of her $12.8 billion mm. budget. The longer than usual grace period ends Monday when the city starts paying, uh, playing for keeps. Alderman Anthony Beal, been of what ward? Ninth. Oh, good God. Uh, former <laughs> longtime chairman of the city council's transportation committee predicted the public reaction would be, I mean, uh, pun intended, I think. Fast and furious. He said that? Yeah, yeah. Wow, I got to give him credit. <laughs> pretty That's pretty good. good. 
Good job, Beal. Yeah. That's yeah. good. That was really good. Uh, he says here, quote, we're still in a pandemic. People are not working. Crime is up. Restaurants are closing. Hotels are closing. And we're going to continue to set people back by ticketing them more. That is the wrong approach, said Beal, one of Lightfoot's most outspoken city council critics. Lightfoot uh, infuriated Alderman by doing what the city council authorized former Mayor Rahm Emanuel to do. But the city never did. Oh, France sounds so mad in writing this article. Ben Trofsky, your thoughts on this? Well, first of all, I just want to correct you. It's uh, It was a funny bit, but it's not just white people uh, that are irritated by red light cameras. This was a big issue in the black community as well. Uh, Willie Wilson went on and uh, God, he's on our show talking about Troy LaRavier, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, do you Chicagoans believe that the mayor is uh, bringing back the red light camera program uh, in order to protect uh, motorists, pedestrians from accidents, from speeding cars? That's the mayor's position. Or do you believe that's just an excuse uh, to come up with a new way to shake you down, <laughs> to raise the money to pay the bills? That's Anthony Beal's position. I uh, tend to think it's uh, Anthony Beal's position is the correct one, D. They're looking for ways to shake you down. Um, it's perhaps the most regressive tax in the world because it hits everybody at the same uh, probably, well, everybody has to pay the same amount in a fine and a fee, but uh, it hits harder at poor people because they can least afford it. Uh, and so then Mayor Lightfoot would say, well, then just don't speed. Remember Mayor Rahm's cars going, remember Mayor Rahm's car? How many tickets did they get? Speeding. And then there was this explanation. Uh, I remember the official, finally, the mayor all explanation. I think Mayor Lori Lightfoot's cars may have been caught on this one, D. Oh, boy. So, like, there's like I'll edit that cars. out. Yeah, edit this one out. Edit it. Uh, there's like three cars. So follow me, this ladies and gentlemen. When it, when a mayor's procession is going through the city, there's the the car that's carrying the mayor, and then there's at least one other, if not two other cars of security. And uh, so all three cars want to get through the light. So let's say the first car gets through the light. That means that the mayor's car has to speed up uh, to also get through the light. And that's where the violation occurs. So Mike's thing is, well, maybe you should just stop at the light. First car, you know, when just don't try to get through the yellow light. Did you ever think of that? So it's, I'm just taking the same argument that the mayors make to ordinary people and flipping it <laughs> onto the mayor. And then the mayor's response is generally, I am a very important person. I have meetings to get to. I have people to see. I cannot wait at a light. Lights for little people. That's lights are where little people stop. Not important people like me. So D, I have to admit, there's not a whole lot that I've agreed with uh, Anthony Beal on down through the years, but I agree with him on this point. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. <laughs> and for the record, uh, I didn't say only white people complain about tickets, uh, the red light cameras. They, it's their favorite thing to complain about, implying that they don't have much to complain about. Uh, fair enough. <laughs> Unless we people go. Fair enough. <laughs> All right, everybody. That is fair our enough. Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. 
Fair enough. That is a week of Ben Jarofsky shows in the can. All right, everybody, check out this weekend's Benny J bonus interviews. I'm very excited about the one that's going to be dropping on Saturday. We're going to record it after today's show. Once we jump off of here, it's a Ben Jarofsky show two year anniversary special. Happy anniversary, Ben. <laughs> the flowers are so nice. Oh, you like them? Cool. Yes. Good. And the candy. Mm, delicious chocolates. You're welcome. You're very welcome. Uh, it's a two-year anniversary special. Uh, it's a surprise party podcast. I don't know. We're going to see how this works. Uh, basically, usually Ben Jarofsky does the booking on the program. Well, the tables have turned for this one. The producer's booking the guests. Uh, that's now, right now he'll appreciate me a little more i have <laughs> i have reached out to some people i was getting some calls some confirmations uh while you were talking with ramana hussein all right i have some people uh on deck ready to talk and ready to wish the ben Jarofsky show a happy anniversary the thing is the guests are a mystery to our host ben Jarofsky. he's just gonna sit there and go, huh? who's it going to be? Huh? Oh, my God. It's going to be fun time. Check it out. It's going to be available Saturday uh, by 5 a.m. ChicagoReader.com and wherever else you download podcasts. Who's going to be on? Only I know. Whoa. And uh, Sunday, Terry Cosgrove and friends. It's another uh, episode of that. Join Terry Cosgrove as he welcomes some new friends to the Ben Jarofsky show. And on Monday, it's Alder Monday, 47th Ward Alderman, and a guy who's way smarter than the both of us put together, <laughs> Mr. Matt Martin. Ben's Alderman. That's right. So go check out this weekend's Benny J bonus interviews. We'd love for you to check those out. Also, you can reach us uh, at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. No, Doogie, it's not a happy getting fired anniversary. He keeps saying... <laughs> <laughs> Although, do you? You're actually on to something there. Uh, you know, if it wasn't for the firing, we wouldn't have the podcast. So, good point. You got to give him credit for that one, D. Send us an email, bennyjshow at gmail.com. And you can call the Ben Jarofsky Show. Please don't do it during the show. 708 658 4788. That number again, 708 658 4788. Way to go, listeners. We had a great week of voicemails. Keep those coming. Uh, you know, if you're bored this weekend, sitting around the house, got nothing going on, prank call the Ben Jarofsky Show, 708-658-4788. We love funny voices. So uh, maybe do that or Bulls Trivia or whatever you want to do. Call us up. And, hey, if you listen on the download, check us out live sometime, Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m. Central Time at the Chicago Reader YouTube channel. Check out that new logo we got. It's a good-looking logo. I want to thank Romano Sane. Did a great job, as she does every Friday. Of course, the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Illinois. All of Illinois! All of Illinois. Finally! <laughs> Got a raise. that Barack Obama and Bruce Springsteen finally call White Lightning. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Have a great weekend, everybody. This little light of mine. This little light of mine. I don't want an answer.
I want an answer. I want an answer. From the Illinois State Water Survey at the University of Illinois Prairie Research Institute, this is Illinois State Climatologist Trent Ford. This week brought a transition away from the brutal cold to more mild weather. Week average temperatures range from the low 20s in far northern Illinois to high 30s in southern Illinois, between 1 and 6 degrees below average. However, a quick warm-up came in the latter half of the week. Daily high temperatures range.